0: What do you think about governments punishing people for blasphemy? There's certainly an ancient tradition of doing that within the Christendom community, but this has become one of the most significant religious oppression and religious freedom issues in the world today, and Congress is wanting to do something about it. Here to talk about a couple of resolutions in Congress is Bettina Krauss, who serves at the General Conference of Seventh-day Adventists as an associate in the Department of Public Affairs and Religious Liberty. Bettina, welcome back to Freedom's Ring.
1: Thanks, Ellen. It's a pleasure to be on the show again.
0: Well, why don't we start with an understanding of the problem. Why are blasphemy laws a problem, and where are they a problem?
1: Sure. You know, the phrase blasphemy laws is really just a shorthand term for a whole group of domestic laws that contain a ban against blasphemy, apostasy, like changing your religion, or defamation of religion. And these are laws that have punishments attached to them that can range from fines in some countries through to significant prison sentences, life uh, sentences and even in 12 countries, the death penalty and when you talk about the geographic spread of these laws, they are surprisingly um, well uh, scattered around the world. They are most commonly associated with Muslim-majority countries. That's what we usually think of when we think of blasphemy laws. So Saudi Arabia, Pakistan, Iran, Iraq, other uh, countries where Islam is the dominant religion, but they do also exist in other countries such as uh, Russia and some other orthodox majority countries.
0: Very interesting. So I know a lot of our listeners are probably familiar with the case of an Indian Christian woman, Asia Bibi, who was recently released, and I see that um, the text of this House resolution references her case. Yes. Uh, very briefly, I have not heard whether she has successfully been able to leave Pakistan and is, is she now safe? Yes. Hers
1: was a fascinating case because it gained such international attention. She, with the help of the background um, intervention of a number of countries, including the US, has uh, gained the right to live in Canada and where she now lives with some members of her family. The thing to remember is her case is highly unusual in that it gained such international attention and action. The vast majority of cases, and we're talking here thousands of cases each year, actually go under the radar.
0: Thousands? That's how broad the problem is?
1: Indeed. And that includes everything from... Fines through to significant prison sentences. We're talking in the thousands here. But here's something to remember, Alan. And it's not the government prosecution that poses the greatest dangers in blasphemy in countries where there are blasphemy laws. The greatest danger lies in mob and vigilante action against the accused. And so what we see is that in countries which have blasphemy laws or heresy laws, apostasy laws, it correlates strongly with social hostility against religious minorities and violence against those who are seen as dissenters from the majority religion. So, you know, when governments such as the US government in National Commission on Religious Freedom is counting the victims of apostasy laws or blasphemy laws, it often only counts those who are formally charged. There are many, many others who lose their lives or face severe violence or discrimination from social action against them.
0: So Congress is stepping up to the plate. Now foreign policy is generally something that is within the purview of the executive branch, the State Department, et cetera, the White House. But what is the hope or the goal for passage of congressional resolutions How do you envision this making an important contribution?
1: Sure. The purpose of these resolutions, you know, as you rightly say, the Executive Branch has responsibility for foreign policy. But what Congress wants to do with these two resolutions is to place pressure on the Executive Branch to acknowledge and to act on um, this challenge to an even greater extent than they are. So that what they're calling for is for the President and for the State Department to place the issue of blasphemy laws front and centre in international engagement with other countries. So they would say if you're negotiating a trade deal, if you're negotiating some kind of cultural exchange, some sort of engagement with another country, you need to... Um, the presence of a blasphemy law in that country needs to be addressed in that negotiation.
0: And from a political standpoint, uh, well, first of all, are they bipartisan, or is this uh, somehow, you know, another partisan political action?
1: That is the beauty of these resolutions. They are definitely bipartisan from their very beginning. The original co-sponsors in both the House and the Senate have been um, representative of both parties. Um, I went on a visit to a senator's office yesterday, a Republican. Today I'm meeting with a Democrat. And we are receiving equally um, warm welcomes in the offices of um, both senators and House members on this. I I mean, really, it is a no-brainer because it, it dovetails so neatly with our commitment to free speech, our commitment to religious freedom, why wouldn't the U.S. be an international leader on this issue?
0: Well, you know, this um, your question kind of begs uh, a discussion of the changing role of the United States in terms of the global order because prior to the current administration, I think under both Republican and Democratic administrations, the United States clearly was the, you know, recognized leader of the global order, and to some extent, we were the policemen, and, you know, we kind of, you know, tried to keep things to a dull roar, if you will. Um yeah. You know, our stated policy, whether it's consistently followed or not, but our stated policy under the present administration is more of an America first policy, and Uh, you know, analysts are saying it's much more transactional in nature, where these kinds of overarching values and principles uh, tend to be less significant. Um, I would also observe that even as the global policeman, we have often put economic self-interest far above considerations of human rights or religious freedom, and that... uh, you know, too often human rights issues have been, uh, you know, relegated to the back burner, which you and right. I, because we work on these issues, we think, yeah, we, we certainly want them to be more prominent. But you ask the question, well, why not? To me, it's a no brainer, as you said, that America should be the foremost champion of human rights and religious freedom. Yes. And I think to its credit, this administration certainly has talked the talk about religious freedom. And, yes, uh, And is certainly taking some steps in that direction. So this will be, you know, another very important encouragement, right? Oh
1: yes, indeed. I mean, I'm I I'm no apologist for any administration. Um, each administration has its own agenda and its own priorities. Um, our job, um, specifically my job, as part of the civil society um, around that administration, is to urge them to continue to keep issues such as this very much at the forefront of their, as you say, transactional um, work. Of course, they have a responsibility in their economic realm, but it cannot be at the expense of our fundamental values as a nation.
0: So is there opportunity for our listeners to weigh in to contact their elected representatives and let them know this is an issue of concern?
1: Most definitely. We would encourage all your listeners who do feel that this is an issue of concern to contact their representatives, both on the House side and the Senate side. The more voices that your representatives hear from, the more seriously they will take uh, these resolutions. Um, If you do call the offices of your Senator or House representatives, you can reference House Resolution 512, and on the Senate side, Senate Resolution 458. Uh, we would welcome as much support as possible. There are about 60 different religious and non-theistic advocacy organisations already working on this issue, but the people who can really move the issue, uh, move the needle on this issue, are constituents the people who um, the representatives are most likely to listen to.
0: You know, this is when I want to remind our listeners. I've interviewed an awful lot of human rights activists over the years working in Washington, D.C. and working on international issues. And they have always uh, insisted that the most powerful force in the world for human rights and religious liberty... Are the American people, and especially church members, who take an interest and let their elected officials know that this is a concern of theirs and, you know, that they need to pay attention to it? We're certainly not hearing about these kinds of issues in the primary campaigns, right? We hear about economy or environment or health care, you know, these kinds of issues. Uh, We're not hearing about human rights and religious freedom. So
1: and, Yes.
0: Go ahead.
1: No, and yet we're not hearing about it, and yet I do feel that many of your listeners, for them, this is a significant issue.
0: Well, we know that religious freedom was a very significant issue in the 2016 campaign and that uh, Trump's emphasis of conservative Christian concerns about religious freedom was very important part of his cementing the support of that community. So whether or not the press reports on it, religious freedom does matter a great deal to many Americans and certainly to those who listen to, to shows like this. Yes, yes, definitely. Any final thoughts for our listeners on the subject of, of blasphemy, any the apostasy laws, any particular things brewing?
1: Sure. Um You know, it's it's an interesting fact that it's not just um, Muslim-majority countries that have uh, blasphemy laws. You may be interested to know, Alan, that there are actually on the books in the US uh, some 12 states uh, with blasphemy laws. I believe the last actual um, enforcement of that, of one of those laws, was in the early 20th century, but they still do exist on the book.
0: I did not know that. That is a very interesting fact. And certainly, yes, blasphemy laws have been part of the American legal system, although mostly ignored yeah. in, in our history. Well, we're out of time. Our guest today, Bettina Kraus, working on behalf of Religious Liberty at the General Conference of Seventh-day Adventists. Bettina, thanks for being with us on Freedom's Reign. It's a
1: pleasure.
0: And as we close, remember, folks, At Freedom's Ring, we don't just talk about religious freedom. We help workers suffering religious discrimination. Check out our legal resources page at churchstate.org, churchstate.org. And don't forget, friends, freedom is not free. Be informed. Get involved. Join the North American Religious Liberty Association, producer of Freedom's Ring, on the web at religiousliberty.info. Be sure to listen to Freedom's Ring on our SoundCloud radio station or on iTunes. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Radock. Until next week, let freedom ring.